Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Today. And welcome to Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's FST, the Saturday edition, and the band is back together, baby. I'm joined by my longtime friend and co-host, George Kurtz. George, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Mike. Uh, yeah, they say a little special appearance by us right together, uh, Joe Galina. That's right. Mr. The Fantasy Jesus. He's, uh, yeah. he's out. His, his daughter's graduating. Congratulations she is. to the Congratulations Fantasy Congratulations to Joe Galina's daughter. I wish I knew her first name. Uh, because then I would call her out specifically. I think he may have told me last week, and we'll try to get it during the show. But she's graduating from college, St. John's University. So uh, always a fun day. Uh, graduation day for me in college was, uh, you know, wasn't feeling my best for, I think, reasons that everybody could suspect what happens on your last night of college. Uh, and it was a beautiful day. Uh, but I felt uh, pretty hungover and was worried about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. But here I get – now we know what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I get to hang out with you on Saturdays and other days. Don't you wonder uh, where you year. went wrong. <laughs> Took a couple of wrong turns along the way, but uh, I think I landed in a good spot. So thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, it is finally uh, getting some beautiful spring days here in the New York area. I spent – a wonderful day yesterday on the course at Bethpage Black, uh, walking around, following some golfers, and I'll get to that experience uh, a little bit later in this hour. Uh, but a really busy time of year, George, because we have the PGA, which moved up from August to May. So it's smack in the middle of all these other things, like the Preakness, which will be running later today, which has been a mess, obviously, with horses dropping out and not running today. But the Preakness always a lot of fun for people. Uh, the second leg of the uh, three major races. There won't be a Triple Crown winner this year, unfortunately. Uh, but, again, we have to focus on baseball because, uh, and later this show, we're going to focus on football too. I should say right from the top, we have two great guests in the nine o'clock hour. We're going to have Maurice Moten from Bleacher Report. Talk to him about everything Raiders. And then we have Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News, and he is going to talk to us about the week that was for the New York Jets, which obviously George could really lead the entire show. We're in, we aren't a particularly New York-focused show. We both happen to be in New York, but the Jets really stole headlines from just about everybody with the most dysfunctional week that anybody's had, and that includes a week just in New York where the Knicks were the worst team in basketball and didn't win the lottery. So the Jets really did their best to kind of top the headlines this week. I think I saw somebody on Twitter, uh, I think I forget who it was, actually put it perfectly. How does Adam Gase keep failing up? I mean, uh, it's, they denied it, denied it, denied it, right? Oh, no, there's no friction between the two of them. And then he's gone. The guy, uh, Mike's gone. The GM's gone. Gase has got full control as of right now. They say they're going to hire a GM, but it'll be somebody that Gase approves of, which means it'll probably be a uh, you know, somewhat of a lackey, but Gase will still have uh, full control there. Interesting. Yeah, they put all their eggs in uh in his basket. He's done nothing that says he should have that. Yeah, and that's not to say he'll fail. Maybe he'll succeed, but it's an interesting way of going about things with the New York Jets. Uh, good luck. I mean, good luck. The pieces seem to be in place. Now there are rumors. I think Schefter reported yesterday that the Jets might trade Levy on Bell. This would be the wildest thing. It would be, and I actually wouldn't be surprised because now they're in a position, and we will break this down a lot more later in the show after we speak with Manish Mehta. But the, now you know that the coach isn't in love with Le'Veon Bell's contract. You can't say 
specifically anything about the player. He hasn't denigrated that. But now there's stories that are confirmed that he didn't really want them to spend that much money on the position. It was driven by ownership. If you read Manish Mehta's article and go to his, you should go to his Twitter feed uh, when you can. It's Manish Mehta at NYDN. I'm gonna. I want to make sure I get it right. So before I do that, give me one second. Make sure I have it uh, properly set up. Manish Mehta. Yeah, M Mehta. M E H T A. NYDN. So that's Manish Mehta. He does cover the Jets for the Daily News. Uh, he's been on ESPN uh, a, million, a million times, so he, he's a guy that is as dialed in on the Jets as anybody. And if you read his article, it's a behind-the-scenes of the final straw in the Jets' rift between Adam Gase and Mike McCagney came out yesterday afternoon. It really breaks down everything that happened. And a big part of this is that, yes, the, the ownership really drove the Le'Veon Bell decision. So to your point, George, like – if he's now made the power play and he's in charge and they've named him acting GM and he doesn't really want this player for that kind of money, it might make sense to move on from him. But they got into a bidding war to get him. So how many people are going to be willing to pick up that deal? Well, it seems like Gase believes that he, um, I don't want to say any running back, but that he doesn't need a top running back to fit into his system and didn't want the salary cap hit on the running back. Which, listen, he's not the only person who believes that. You know, a lot of people throughout the NFL don't believe in paying a running back. That once again, the short shelf life, that, uh, you, you know, plenty of sister, it's more important about the blocking, hitting the holes. Any running back can do a decent job. Maybe not as good as uh, Bell could do, but a decent job. I don't think it's helping any that Bell stay away from the team doing, uh, you know, some of the, the mini camps, even the voluntary ones. And I think that's an issue as well. That, uh, you know, he is maybe, uh, I don't want to say a problem child. I don't think that's fair, but he's certainly not a team player. You know, he's certainly not there yeah. getting you uh getting in with this team. And I think that's rubbing Gase the wrong way as well. Uh, I said strange, just a strange situation. So, a week ago there was a story, and we talked about it on the show myself and Joe Galena. The story, which I think was on Pro Football Talk, was that Le'Veon Bell has committed to mandatory minicamp. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, George, but I'd say that's a non-story. Who has to commit to mandatory minicamp? I'll see you there. It's mandatory. You don't have to tell me you're going because it's mandatory. We'll just see you at the minicamp. When it comes to the voluntary minicamp, frankly, I'm with the league. Tom Coughlin shouldn't be out there telling guys that they should be there when it's voluntary. The league and the NFLPA get together. They negotiate a CBA. Whatever is voluntary, you don't have to show up. Whatever's mandatory, you have to be there or we'll fine you. That's as far as I can take it, and I, I, you can do a whole, well, everybody should be on the same page, and it's kumbaya, and it's a new team, and we're starting a new year. Great, but it's voluntary. They don't have to be there. That's my personal opinion on it. I agree with you. I agree. I think we all realize it's not good for football that they're, they don't practice as much. I think we all know that, but it's in the CBA, and it is voluntary. They don't have to be there. Now, you and I also both know that what's written in the CBA and what's real life is completely different. Yes. Right. You know, certainly Le'Veon Bell and Jalen Ramsey, they can get away with it not showing up. First year a rookie, second year player who's not got a job, not necessarily has a job, who's not a superstar, your voluntary becomes, mm, you better show up or you might not have a job. And you won't have to worry about yes. showing up to any kind of mini camps. So yeah, it's, I think it's it speaks to your commitment here. level when you're a player that still needs to learn what's going on. Now you can make that argument for Le'Veon Bell. It's a new team. He needs to be eating up that playbook and figuring it out. He doesn't feel like he has to be there, so be it. I, I think you've, we've determined sort of the type of player that he is. He's very talented. Um, I don't know if it was my favorite signing for the Jets in the first place because I don't know that their offensive line is fixed. But, again, a, a decision driven by ownership. And at the top of this and what we're going to talk about with Manish in the next hour is that the owner, or the CEO, Chris Johnson, does not appear to know what he's doing. And, unfortunately, he took a lot of heat. Online this weekend, uh, online this week, and from uh, talking heads like you and I, and honestly, it was probably deserved. And unfortunately, the Manish made an article that you should read on New York Daily News, nydailynews.com, is detailing that as well, including current staffers saying, unfortunately, he doesn't know what he's doing. So I guess I would pose, I'm going to pose this question to Manish, and I'll pose it to you right now, George. If the CEO of a football team doesn't know what he's doing, is there any chance for them to be successful? 
Not consistently. I mean, sure, you can get lucky. You know, hit, hit a bullseye every now and then. But you're going to make more mistakes than you will hits, right? I mean, listen, I'm a Cowboy fan. How many mistakes has Jerry Jones made over the years being an SGM? You know, it's, it put Dallas uh, behind the eight ball for a long time. Dallas has only gotten good when he's hired correct people. And that could happen with uh, Johnson as well. If Gase ends up being the right choice, then he'll make the right moves. But we all know that seems to be unlikely. You know, he already fired well the GM. You know, he got rid of him. After the GM hired the coach, signed the free agents, and did the draft. Then you fire him? That makes absolutely no sense. You do that before any of those if you're not going to stick with them. That's, that makes no sense to me. None. So, it, uh, it is, listen, it is what it is right now. The Jets have to forget about it and move on and hope you correct uh, whatever mistakes are going to be made and get better in the future. There's no use. It's, it's spilt milk now. It's done. So now hopefully they hire a GM who is somewhat competent or at least someone who can work with Gase, and they'll work well together. That's all you can hope for right now. But Jets do have talent. But you just wonder how all this drama is going to play out here. And will Johnson keep getting involved in making mistakes? And if it's true that Le'Veon Bell wasn't ownership-driven, that he wanted Bell, that the GM didn't want it, that the coach didn't want it, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. And I think that's... That's one example of the reasons that the marriage wasn't going to work. Um, again, we'll, we'll continue to break it down in the next hour. Uh, quick note on the NBA. Uh, Milwaukee blew out Toronto last night. I, I really, going into the series, I didn't know what was exactly was going to happen. I thought it would be a hard-fought series to the end like Sixers-Raptors. In those instances, I tend to pick the best player which is still Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion, a best player on the court. Now, the problem is that the MVP of the league and the current best player in the series may be Giannis Antetokounmpo. And he was a big factor last night and then blowing out the Raptors, so they have to take a 2 nothing lead. Uh, obviously, the Warriors have a 2 nothing lead. That series is as good as over. They take their two home games, including one where the Blazers had a 17-point lead at halftime, and they're not even playing with Kevin Durant right now, and they're up 2-0. So right now it's looking like Milwaukee, Golden State. I still give Toronto a chance, but it's going to be really tough for them now, uh, losing both on the road. So NHL updates, George. Blues come back and get one. They tie the Western Conference Finals at 2-2, yes? Yeah, Blues won 2-1 last night. Uh, very good goaltending game. No shock that the Blues may have been the benefits of some early officiating calls after the uh, the cluster F that happened the on Wednesday pass. night with a missed yeah with a missed hand pass there. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, if you if you were laying bets, it'd be uh, <laughs> pretty much a good bet that the Blues would get the first couple of calls going in their direction there. If the Angels screwed up another game, the Angel officiating there. So uh, how do you think Boston? The NHL officials have gotten hammered this whole postseason. And how do you think they missed the, such an obvious call? Well, I could, I, I know how they missed the uh, the call. And there are four officials on the ice, two referees. I should, I should tell everybody, by the way, sorry to interrupt you, but I want to set you up properly. You officiate hockey games. That is something that you've done for many, many years. And while you didn't do it at the NHL level, you understand this uh, more intimately than most. So uh, I'll pass it to you. Yeah, uh, there are two or four officials on the ice. Any one of the four can call a hand pass. Uh, referees can only call penalties. Uh, so two refs, two linesmen. One ref will be located behind the uh, the goal line. The other ref is up for much further up the ice around center. He's watching the uh, back end of the play. The linesmen are at each end of the blue line. Uh, when you see the replays, and I know where they're all stationed anyway, you know, the one ref who's uh, plant is deep, he's not going to be able to see anything. He's not going to be able to see a hand pass from 120 feet away. So you understand why he missed it. Uh, the two linesmen, uh, one is easily blocked out. There's no chance in hell. The other one does have a view, but remember, this, uh, this hand pass was on an angle. Well, he'd be, I don't want to say guessing, but he'd be an educated guess of what it was. And he's still about 60, 75 feet away. The ref who's the closest, unfortunately, was on the opposite side, which means he has to look through the goalie. And several other players. So he's blocked out. I, I understand exactly what happened here. Now you want to argue that ref behind the goalie has to move a little bit? That's an argument you can make there. That he has to be able to move and get into that better position there. And listen, they missed it. The bottom line is they missed it. I believe during the offseason what they'll go now go for now is the same rule as in the NFL. Every scoring play gets reviewed. They'll review it for offsides, interference, high stick, hand pass. 
I think that's what they won't review it for a penalty. I don't think they'll go that direction yet. I think the penalty, be, uh, as far as a major penalty, that'll be a different rule altogether. But I think on I scoring the, plays, those will be the four things they review. I guess the interesting thing about hockey, though, is that there's such a continuous level of play. How far back do you review it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, for a goalie like challenge, the hand now, pass, you, like that, like the hand pass keeps it in the zone, and then 30 seconds later you score. Is that still part of the continuous play that you can review? I mean, it's an argument to be made. Absolutely, maybe, maybe they'll have some kind of uh, you know clause in there. It's only the last 15. I don't know. I think that's kind of weird. But you can argue. I mean, offsides could have happened 10 minutes earlier. If there was no whistle, and you had this in the zone yeah. for 10 minutes, they go back and review it. Guess what? No goal, and you're going, you're going to think about 10 right. minutes back on the clock. So they might do that, just like you do it offsides, which is what I guess they'll do. Now, to your point, it may be where that they can only review a hand pass in the offensive zone, not the neutral zone. You're allowed to hand pass in the defensive zone. So it could be that as well. You can only review a hand pass in the offensive zone, not the neutral zone. So to cut down some of what you're talking about. Yeah, I can see that being in play as well. Same thing with the high stick, only in the offensive zone. Good stuff. So interesting and unique uh, perspective there from George. We're going to come back. I'll talk about my day at Bethpage Black yesterday. We'll obviously get to some baseball. we got football. We're action-packed mid-May. We're off to the races with a lot of different sports news. So keep it locked on FST for the next three hours. It's Mike and George. We'll be right back. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Well, since we're playing some music related to magic, the Yankees had some magic last night, George. How about that seamless radio transition? Gio Urshela uh, with a little magic, uh, ninth inning magic last night. The Yankees scored three in the bottom of the ninth uh, to take first place away from the Tampa Bay Rays. So they've won nine of 11, four in a row. They are playing... I guess far above where we would expect them to play with all these guys missing, but Urshela has been an unbelievable addition to the team, and he'll obviously be here long-term with the news earlier this week of Miguel Andohar having to hit the IL for the rest of the season, needing shoulder surgery to repair a torn labrum. So uh, really bad news on the Andohar front, but great news in that Urshela has been playing uh, far better than could be expected. Yeah, people forget that Urshela was once a prospect. You know, uh, when I say that, means he was a guy who, who good things were expected of, but he ended up being, uh, you know, good glove, no hit. You know, good scrutin hit. Yeah. But he's made adjustments now. And, we, you know, once again, it's baseball. Sometimes it takes certain players years to figure it out. You know, it, it's not easy, man. 95-mile-per-hour ball, you know, round bat, we're not worried about getting killed. You know, sometimes it takes these players years. Not everybody's going to come up and hit right away. So Urshela may, might be proving that now. I mean, once again, Cashman may have may have himself here. And this is a guy that Cashman had wanted for years. So you know, Cashman saw something in him. If, he, if that those adjustments he made have taken effect, the Yankees have something here. We know he yeah. can catch the ball and throw the ball, right? He's a fantastic yes. fielder. He's, yes. all right, he's not going to bat 350. I don't expect that to happen. But if he can bat anywhere, 280 or higher, the Yankees have something here. They truly do here. As you mentioned, Anderhard's shoulder surgery, he's done for the year. And my guess, Mike, is that when he comes back, it will not be as a third baseman. Uh, he's not a very good fielder. I think the shoulder, a no matter, he's a bit of a butcher. And, the sh- and listen, with a shoulder injury, it's not like Tommy John where the success rate is pretty high. Shoulder, it's more, well, we hope it's going to work. You know, they don't really know. And either it does work, his, you know, he may not have as much velocity there, as much strength in that shoulder, uh, throwing the ball as hoped for. So uh, he could have some issues here. I think he, when he comes back, it'll be either be as a first baseman or a DH or a first base slash DH. So uh, the problem be, uh, is on this team, we're stacking up that position. The first base DH position, it looks like it has a future for several players on the team because he isn't the only defensive butcher on the team. There's an excellent hitter that catches for them. 
that is also a butcher. And you're trying to think, well, can he convert to first? Can he be a DH long term? Um, now, his problems maybe haven't been at the forefront so far this year with Sanchez, but the Yankees know it's not a long-term solution, and it doesn't appear that he's going to fix it to even be an adequate catcher at the major league level. Well, his catching this year has been better. It's yeah. certainly been uh, been better. Have been worse. The Yankees are a hard staff to catch. They have a lot of guys who, A, throw hard, and B, throw the ball all over the place. You know, these pitches are for the Yankees. They aren't big on hitting spots. Uh, I've always believed when it comes to Sanchez, oh, this is, it's part of it's on him, don't get me wrong. A good part of it's on him. He's very stiff back there. And when they miss their location by a foot, he has a tough time getting to it. Yeah, but you see, Romine has had his issues behind there as well at times. Mm-hmm. So it's not all on Sanchez. But I believe with, uh, with Sanchez is they have to stop lining him up on the inside corner or lining up on the outside corner. Because once again, when those pitches are missed, he's not close. So I know you want to frame things in, this, in nowadays, but it's just not going to work. Because he's going to end up, it's going to be a pass ball and the other runners are going bananas. So I think they just have to line up pretty much in the middle and hope the, the he can get to the balls here. Because when they actually when they line up on one side or the other side and that pitcher misses, he's not catching it. He's just not. He's not very good at blocking balls. You know that that can be taught about how you have to get down pretty much a goalie position and, and stop the ball here. But you're right, uh, Sanchez could be a future first baseman. I don't think so. Not right away because they a they don't even try him there, and b I don't know how good he'll be at first base. But then again, I the Yankees' that. first baseman now is not a first baseman. Luke Voigt's a terrible defensive first baseman. You know, he, he can barely count. You, you watch Luke Voigt. It, it's funny. When the ball's not perfectly thrown, boy, he makes those catches at first base interesting. He truly does. I know. So, well, he, he can hit, but his catch is not the best either. Uh, Greg Bird has no future with the team. Yeah, that's that's pretty much done. Then he'll just only be on the team until arbitration hits. Another. Right. Yeah. He, he's, he's proven that now. He just can't stay healthy. It's ridiculous. And he's making yeah. Ellsbury look like uh, Cal Ripken here. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So there are, some, there are some issues there. So let me ask you this then. Uh, we'll stay with the Yankees here for a second. Uh, let me update you on the game first. Um, Luke Voigt that George just mentioned, he goes three for four last night, uh, another RBI. You have Kendrick Morales, it's a home run. And then Urshela went three for four. He has the game-winning RBI, uh, other stats last night. So CC Sabathia with a good outing. He obviously gets to no decision, but he goes six strong innings. Six hits, a couple of walks, only the one earned run and four strikeouts. CC Sabathia providing the Yankees exactly what they needed, George. CC's been pretty consistent all year long. He's going to give you close he to has. a quality start. You know, somewhere in that six innings, three runs, and last night was better. Uh, so good for CC. I mean, really good for CC. And he's uh, he's a leader on that team. You know, he doesn't like taking, uh, taking crap. He will. Uh, the last time they faced uh, Tampa Bay, they had a little bit of a brouhaha when Luke, the aforementioned Luke Voigt was hit after a T.J. LeMayu home run, hit up and in. And CeCe was ready to charge. He came right out of a duck, yeah. and he's ready to charge. You know, he uh, doesn't doesn't like that, doesn't, doesn't play that. So uh, and last night, he was fired up last night again, once again, facing the same team here. So uh, good to see from CeCe. I think his numbers will probably wear down as the season goes along, and once again, he gets tired a little bit. But uh, pitching well, and the Yankees certainly need that. The only problem is for the Yankees, or one of the problems right now, Boone's going to be very careful about this bullpen. You know, he keeps pulling guys. Like the other day he pulled Happ in that doubleheader. First game of doubleheader, he pulls Happ after 65 pitches when the Yankees were up by two runs with nobody on base. And I think the fifth inning or sixth inning. He's like, what are you doing? You can't do this. Yeah. You know, last night was also interesting, right? Because he had Altavino. Uh, I think it was inning six, might have been the seventh. Yeah. So he pulls Altavino after two outs. Yeah, he gets the first two outs and he walks about and he pulls them. For Tommy Conley, you can't do that. Altavino's your, probably your best reliever, right? They're using him though when they, they think the situation needs it. You can't pull him if there whatever it was, 10 pitches because he walks a guy. Who cares? Right. He'll get right. the next guy out. It, was, right. it wasn't like he was getting roughed up or a second, third, he can't get the ball. But he was fine. And then you pull up a Conley. Which, okay, even if you want to get that, but then Conley gets the out, and then you bring in Chad Green in the eighth. You don't even have Conley go the eighth. What are you doing here? You're going to blow this bullpen out. And he, and he showed to be a mess again last night. He gave up uh, he gave up a couple of runs last night. His ERA is at 14 right now. Yeah, but He's the type I don't of pitcher I which you can trust long term. I, I, you have to have some faith in him, but he has been rocky this year. He's been rocky. He's actually been terrible. Uh, it went down to the mines. It looked like he fixed it. Now, last night, uh, yeah, the numbers didn't look good. I mean, the one double down the right field line – Frazier sort of pulled up at the wall, not really blaming Frazier, 
Because right now the Yankees will tell you, don't crash into walls. We can't afford to get somebody else yeah. hurt. And that can very well be a part of it. But it wasn't like it was a hard hit. That was a pop fly, a fly ball that in most normal parks is an easy out. Yankee Stadium gets a little crazy because it's in that corner in the short, on the short porch. So I'm not going to blame him for that. Another run came in on an error by Torres. And that has nothing to do with uh, Shad Green. The big double that hit the other, uh, that got the, uh, at, what time, at that time, what was the go-ahead running? Yeah, that's on Shad Green. But even that one, if you look, Aaron Hicks, he misplayed that too. He, he came in at first. Then realized the ball is one hop off the wall. I don't know if he would have gotten to it anyway. I doubt it. But once again, it wasn't the best defensive inning for the Yankees last night in the eighth with Chad Green. So uh, I don't want to get on him yet. But still, it was uh, disappointing to see that he gave up the run. So the Yankees scored all those runs off of Jose Alvarado, who's actually been good for Tampa this year, his first blown save of the year. Uh, as far as Tampa's offense is concerned, Austin Meadows, two more hits, two for four. He's at 355 right now. Uh, Robertson, two for four. And Lowe, two for three and an RBI and a run score. So Willie Damas hits a home run last night, his second of the year. So... So that's it for Yanks and Rays. Yankees still battling through all these injuries, but again, uh, you know, a big win last night, and they have played far above expectations. But they're they're getting good pitching through all of this, George. Like at the end of all of these discussions that you can have about baseball teams, when you're consistently getting good pitching, your record's just going to be good. It doesn't matter that some of the power is out of the lineup if you're limiting the other teams. On the whole, you're going to be a successful team when you're getting really good pitching, particularly starting pitching like they've been getting. Absolutely. I mean, the pitching staff and the bullpen is now is becoming that weapon. That, uh, you know, if the, if the Yankees can get to a, the fifth, sixth inning with the lead, game's over. Because the uh, all their Britain's pitching well, Chapman's pitching well, Ottavino's pitching well, uh, Conley has been really uh, back to where the pitcher he was with the White Sox. Now when he first came over to the Yankees, he's pitching well. Uh, Batons is a start to throw now. Hopefully they'll get him back uh, mid June, I'd say. You can get Batons back, which even adds to that bullpen. And you're asking about the Yankee injuries, by the way. Judge still not doing baseball activities. He's mid June at the earliest. Stanton just really starting to do some swinging. Maybe early June, but he's he's probably the most mysterious injury of all year because it's a second injury. I it's not the bicep you. strain; it's the shoulder injury, and the Yankees haven't really updated him at all. Strange, you know what, what's going on with him. But maybe I, best that's case the next question I was going to ask you. Actually, was which guy, Severino, Judge, Stanton, pick whomever you want. I, I don't even count Ellsbury anymore or Bird. Forget those two. But of the other injuries that are the guys that are still on the IL, which is the one that you have the lowest expectation for him to come back at all or perform at all? Mine is probably Severino. I don't expect much out of him. They're saying what the timetable is, but I just have a bad feeling that he could come back and have to get shut down again. But Stanton is a close second for me. Yeah, uh, Severino's after the All-Star break he'll return. Uh, so he got a ways to go for him. Uh, I agree with you about Severino. I think he might be the one that gets the least return. Batanzas, I think, is close there as well. Uh, because he's very herky-jerky motion as well. So that'll be interesting to see if he can get that all under control. And generally, listen, you always go, you always lean towards the pitchers because they could easily suffer a setback and they're done. Because uh, they haven't pitched at all this year. We'll take another month then to gear up. So that wouldn't shock me at all if Severino or Batanzas can't uh, really return or at least return up to full strength there. Uh... I mean, listen, I don't. I don't think you're right about Bird this year. You know, even if he comes back, I'm not so sure it'll be with the Yankees right now. Uh, they might prefer Kendrick Morales over him. You know, he's not going. He's not going to play full time over Luke Voigt. That's not going to happen. So, what, what's his purpose on the team? Not that he's a great pinch hitter or anything. And Voigt doesn't have much problem hitting right-handers. So, I, I don't. I don't see uh, Bird having a spot on the team. Tulowitzki, it's not going to matter because I don't know where he plays uh, because Gregorius could be back at the same time as Tulowitzki. And once Gregorius, the Yankees will be actually being a roster. It's a funny thing. The Yankees will be in roster crunch once Gregorius returns. Because Gregorius is going to play shortstop, which moves Torres to second base. Where's the Mayhew plan? He has to play. He's been I the mean, best uh, player on the he's team. He's been the best, him and right, best player on the team. Him and Urshela. And Urshela has to play. Uh, there's a DH you can use there as well. I'm sure that will be used. Maybe Gregorius doesn't play every day at first, so they can use that for a couple of weeks. But once Gregorius is ready, he's playing. Yeah. You know, so that, like uh, you said, it's only be funny. a couple of weeks, but. Yeah, Gregorius should be back once again June 10th, somewhere around there. His, rehabil- his rehabilitation stint starts uh, May 20th, two days, you know, Monday. And then he'll have, you know, three three weeks to get ready, and he should be ready during that time. 
and he'll return. So it would be funny when the Yankees actually have a roster crunch and uh, tougher, tougher decisions to be made here. So that's what's going on with the injuries there. Like I said, Batantis, you're hoping in about a month. Judge, probably at least a month. Stanton, maybe a little bit before that. Uh, Severino's not till after the All-Star break. Gregorius... It's funny, out of all these guys, Gregorius might actually be the first guy to return. I think it'll either be him or Stanton, although I feel much more confident about Gregorius. Like I said, Stanton, it's been state secrets, Mike. It's just been state. I know. That's that's, why That's unusual for Cashman. And Cashman's not like that. Cashman usually tells you the truth nowadays, which means either he doesn't know or there's something going on here. And he, he, he just can't let the cat out of the bag here. And I don't know which one it is. Yeah, I'm hoping it's just he doesn't know. It's you know one of these mystery ailments that keeps happening. But uh, it does seem like Stanton's in no rush to get back. Yeah, at least certainly not now. With them being in first place, I think it obviously gives them a, a little bit more wiggle room as well. So uh, still a lot going on there, and we'll keep tracking the Yankees uh, accordingly. Now let's move over to another big matchup this weekend, which is Houston versus the Red Sox. So the Strohs take the game last night 3-1 to one in Fenway. You get George Springer, dude. 17 homers already out of George Springer. Garrett Cole throws five shutout innings, and the bullpen takes it the rest of the way. Rondon, Harris, Presley, Osuna, they give up one run across the final four innings. Rick Porcello drops to three and four on the year. He pitched well last night. Quality start, seven innings, two runs. But the Strohs are playing excellent baseball, 30 and 15 right now, best record in the majors. Well, Houston's the best team in baseball. I mean, I'm not so sure how close it is. The Dodgers are, I guess, somewhat in that uh, talk as well. Watching that game last night, it's uh, it was funny. I can't, I'm watching. I'm like, Boston had it seemed like they had runners on base every inning, and they couldn't drive in. I'm like, you know, it's one of those games. This is going to cost them. This is going to cost them because Houston really wasn't close to scoring until Springer hit the two-run bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it was a nice shot to right center. Uh, but Boston just couldn't get, couldn't get the big hit. They had guys on base, couldn't get the big hit. And uh, it, it cost him that game there. Uh, Porcello was... Uh, Ten he was guys left on away. base for Boston. Yeah, uh, illustrates that point. To uh, Porcello's the re- uh, last night was the game that defines why fantasy owners have a tough time going with him. Pitch great. Didn't get the win. Two strikeouts. Gee, thanks. Yeah, it just doesn't get enough strikeouts. Because when he's on, it's the sinker. And he's getting ground balls. He's not a strikeout guy. You know, so if he doesn't get the win, too, and oh, great, he became a two-category pitcher for you, and you, you don't like that. Uh, so it's, it's been his bugaboo through, well, throughout most of his career. Uh, maybe not as much with Boston as it was Detroit and Seattle, but it is what it is. You know, Boston, uh, I say, there's, there's no – you can't feel bad about losing to Houston. I do think they're the best team in baseball. But uh, Boston needs to string some wins together here. Can't keep losing these games where you should – they should have won last night. They should have won. It's, uh, you know, as a fan, it's tough, it's tough to lose those games. Yeah, they struck out 12 times last night, too. I, you know, in in the last couple of years, you know, as much as we see, you know, there's more strikeouts and hits in baseball, and we all know that everybody's working on launch angle and hitting home runs. Like That's been discussed ad nauseum, including on this show. But teams like Houston and Boston have tried to make adjustments to strike out a little bit less and has helped them in October. But last night, Sox strike out 12 times. That's not really their formula for winning. Bogarts has three hits, uh, but to your point, leaving the 10 guys on base and striking out 12 times, that's not their formula. No. Listen, we know what baseball has become. You know, three true outcomes. You know, walk, strike out, home run. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of games like that where a lot of guys left on base because, once again, they got the guys on, but no one came, uh, came through with the big, uh, the big home run. Uh, so it's going to happen to Boston again. They faced Garrett Cole last night, although Cole only went five innings. So was, uh, yeah. they also lost to that bullpen there, but that's a good bullpen as well. So it is what it is. I, uh, you know, Boston, Boston will be fine. I still, th- I still think they're making the playoffs this year. You know, it's a long, long season left here, and there aren't that many good teams in the American League. Uh, agreed. So uh, they were one for 11 with runners in scoring position last night. Uh, one other game uh, chock full of fantasy goodness. The Cubs put up 14 on the Nationals last night. Schwarber, a one for three, uh, a couple of RBIs, three runs scored because he had a homer. So homers for the Cubs. Contreras, Schwarber, Bryant. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Did he hit a couple? Brian hit three. Hit a home in the seventh yes. inning, the eighth inning, and the ninth inning. There you go. So, Boom. for Brian, four for six, three runs scored, five ribbies.
Anthony Rizzo with a hit last night. Harvey Baez with a couple of hits on a couple of runs scored. So we'll come back and then I'll talk about Shinnecock. Uh, baseball got me distracted. So we're talking golf right after this. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Stuff. A little chili peppers uh, from Sean Engel producing today. Thank you, Sean, as always. I said Shinnecock going into the break. Obviously, it's at Beth Page Black. I was there. So I'm not, it's not that I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, maybe I don't. But it's not because uh, I wasn't paying ass, attention. Right? I was there. <laughs> exactly. Don't ask my wife. She'll definitely tell you I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, anyway. Uh, I was Does any wife Beth- truly believe their husband knows what they're doing? No. Any wife? I don't think so. Really? No, not no, Mike so, McCagnan's right. wife, not mine, not yours, not, you know, not Christopher Johnson's, not, you know, not, <laughs> none of that. So it's tough to get credit. So I was at Beth Page Black yesterday. We got really lucky with the weather. It was a gorgeous spring day yesterday in New York for most of the day. It did start to rain a little bit in the afternoon. Uh, we got rained on some. But honestly, it blew through the course in probably 45 minutes or so, and uh, everybody was good to go. Um, I was so I did wasn't there for the very end of the day. Tiger really blowing up and unfortunately missing the cut. I think expectations were high for Tiger, unusually high, and and uh, they shouldn't have been there. I think it's a lot to ask for him to go major to major to major and play like he did in Augusta a few weeks ago. But Brooks Kepka was on fire. So that was the big grouping, obviously. The last three majors winners are all together. Tiger, Francesco Molinari, uh, Brooks Kepka. And from what I saw, I was camped out on two for most of the day. For a lot of the day. Did some walking, obviously. But two just has this really good hill where he can sit on and watch all the guys come in. And you have the... 14th hole behind you, I believe, as well. So you can kind of bounce back and forth between the two. But really, this hill on two is where people started to hang out. And it was eating people up, George, this hole. It isn't, it's not a particularly long hole. So you can drive it to a relatively short approach shot and you drive it with an iron, I would say. So that's the key for this course. And George, you're a big golf player. You're probably not into watching as much as I am, but you play a lot. So for the pros, for this course, it's irons all day. So you, it it does play to Tiger's strength because he's the best iron striker in the entire tour this year. But you don't don't have to use the driver much. There's a, there is a 608-yard hole, so yes, you have to use it for that. But beyond that, it's a lot of iron play. So this second hole was iron off the tee, fairly reasonable approach shot but it's difficult because a lot of the holes there the course ramps up a hill onto the green so you're taking a lot of blind approach shots where you can see the pin but you don't know exactly what's going to happen when you get it close or even if you miss it so that's the difficulty of this course in my experience yesterday. A lot of elevated greens where you're hitting somewhat blind approach shots. Which yeah, is uh, Beth, play, Beth Page Black is a uh, it's uh, a very difficult course. I've never played on it. Uh, Beth Page has, what, four courses? Red, green, yellow, yeah. black, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, I played on the others, but I, I would never play on black. I feel that's an insult to guys who can – good golfers. I golf a lot. I'm not a great, far from a great golfer. Uh, hell, the last time I went there, I got Lyme disease. So let, let you know how uh, my day was going. <laughs> that's not a joke. I, last time I played at Beth Page, I did Awful. get Lyme disease. 
Yeah. So what happened? Not a good day How for sick me. were you? Lyme disease, man, is pretty uh, pretty screwed up because uh, yeah. you, uh, for those who don't know, if uh, when you get Lyme disease, I was I get bitten by a tick, which means I hit some balls into the woods, which I did. And uh, I, I was sick, and I didn't know I had Lyme. I, I, but I was sick, and uh, I remember telling my wife that th- this is weird because it felt like my sickness was running on a schedule. Four hours, I'd have the chills. Four hours, I'd have the sweats. Four hours, I'd be fine. And then I went to go take a nap. I guess it was about the day after I, I got it. And uh, my wife happened to see me. She goes, what the hell is that on your arm? It was – I had the, the, the textbook bullseye rash. Yes. You know, it was, it was bullseye rash. And, uh, you know, I went, what the hell is that? I'm like, I don't know. I went back to bed. But I made a note of it. And when I woke up, I looked online. You know, looked on the website. I'm like, oh, crap. You're lying. I called them. They told, you know, the doctor tells me, you got, you got to come in right away. I come in. And it's like I'm in an episode of ER. All right, the I don't know what what do they call the first doctor you see there, uh, an attending, whatever the hell it is, uh, she is, yep. and she's looking at the same website I am, by the way, to find out what it is. <laughs> this does not instill me with confidence. And by the way, I'm sick of the door. I would imagine right it now. doesn't. Right. This does not instill me with confidence. And she gets her, I, I guess, her boss, the the uh, you know the whatever, another doctor, and uh, I'm, I'm literally dying right now. I got like 103, 104 fever. I can barely stand, barely see straight. And the doctor goes to me, "This is a good teaching case. Do you mind if I, we call in some students?" At this point, I don't care anymore. You know, death is just, just fine right about now. I just want to be yeah. better. I'm like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." She calls in like 8,000 students who are now staring at this rash on my arm, and I'm like, "I'm dying here." Can I please have some medicine? Well, you're literally please. a textbook case, so it sort of makes sense to have you have them look at you. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I laugh about it now, but I, was, I, I felt crappy then. But uh, bottom line is they caught it in time. The thing about Lyme is it goes away. If you don't, it, it feels like a normal flu, and it, it goes away after like three, four days. And if you haven't been treated for it, you're screwed. It will mess with your nervous system. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem there. And uh, I know people, a friend of my mom, of my wife's who didn't get it treated, like half her face is a little off because, once again, it messes with your nervous system if you don't catch it in time. So uh, the, the course of treatment is just antibiotics. It's not like they give you yeah. anything special. The antibiotics and you're okay. Like I said, I, I got treated on a Tuesday. By Friday, I was fine again. So, uh, and you, oh, you can't be out in the sunlight for like two weeks. I don't know why that is. That's another thing with it. I wasn't allowed out in the sun for two weeks. I don't know. I guess the sun, the brightness is bad for the disease. I don't know. But uh, bottom really line is that- This segment really took a turn. Uh, you asked. Bring up bad memories. I'm starting to bring up bad, you asked. bad memories. So, uh, well, because yeah, well, of golf, rough. man. Don't hit, well, don't, hit ball, don't hit bad shots. That's what it comes yeah. down to. Don't hit bad shots. It's my own fault. Well, I, hopefully I didn't get Lyme disease yesterday. I don't think I did. I, I feel fine right now. Uh, and hopefully nobody else did. And certainly Brooks Kepka didn't because he was the only one that could master this second hole. That's really what I was going with. So only two guys. So this approach shot, guys were sticking it pretty close to the pin. But I saw more blown putts yesterday inside of 10 feet than I could stand to watch. It was incredible. Guys were sticking these this approach shot, and all of them were missing their birdie putts. Adam Scott hit a 25-foot bomb for birdie the place went crazy and Kepka put it so close that all he basically had to do was tap in he's just been his strength of his game is playing so well to these last these last two majors that were in New York in Shinnecock where I was last year the fairways are so long but so narrow that you have to keep it on the fairway because the rough is impossible it's that you know seaweed basically that you're hitting out of in in eastern Long Island now yesterday the course plays really long it's one of the longest majors ever the longest major ever, I believe, I heard yesterday was 7,800 yards, but it was a par 72. Beth Page is 7,600 yards, but it is par 70. So technically, it plays longer because you're having to uh, shoot a lower score. And it's the same kind of thing. You can't be in the rough there, George. You just can't. Tiger, uh, any guy that hit into the rough, we wait, later went down to five. Any guy that hit into the rough at five was done, with one exception, Kepka. He hit out of the rough and hit a really great approach shot. But his game is about not making mistakes. He's, he's not bogeying at all. He picks up birdies when he can, and now – he is ultimately set up. First of all, he's seven strokes in front going into the weekend, but now he's ultimately set up for 
just sitting on the lead. He doesn't have to make one birdie the rest of the weekend, and he could probably win. So it's been incredible to watch how good he's been, but it was a really fun day yesterday, and he, Tiger, uh, and Molinari together were obviously the crowd favorite and had thousands and thousands of people watching them. Yeah, I've been there twice for the uh, tour, uh, both U.S. Opens at Bethpage. Uh, last time I went, though, was, uh, I don't know if you'll remember, but it was the week where it just rained. Well, it didn't really rain during yeah. the tournament, but it rained all week, and it was, the uh, Beth, it was just mud. It was, I mean, you wore, if you wore shoes, they were ruined by the end of this. Yes, I heard people it was, it was said just, they had to wear, like, rain boots because it was yes. just quicksand it was gross. out there. It was, it was terrible. So it sort of ruined the enjoyment somewhat, and uh, it, was, it was fun to see the guys. This is when Greg Norman was still playing. I remember seeing him, uh, Mickelson as well. Best part was in the hospitality tents, my friend. We got, uh, you know, went through his job and, you know, going there, free food, and eat whatever you want. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. At least that that, is uh, a lot of fun. Didn't have to worry about the mud then. That is a lot of fun. It's like, yeah, it's like being in a, uh, you know, luxury box for a ball game, right? Yes, Same thing. Very much so. So yeah. uh, it, it, it's a joy. What you're right. I don't watch, I, I play golf. I love to play. It's the most frustrating sport. You know, I, I play just about every sport baseball, football, hockey, but golf by far frustrates me the most. Uh, because, you know, unless you play it a lot, I mean a real lot, two, three times a week, if not more, it's so hard to get any any better at that. It's just Agreed. so hard to get good at golf. Agreed. And to your point about playing Beth Page Black, it is a public course. So you can't conceivably get on there. But if you're a hack golfer, you can't go on there. You'll shoot 200. I mean, you'll shoot 200. It's it's extremely difficult. Um they make it look. I mean, Kepka's making it look like anybody can get, like you can get out there and do it, but you can't. So, the good news is the leaderboard is filled with big names. You have Adam Scott that played great yesterday. He, he hit that bomb putt that I just told you about. Dustin Johnson kept himself in the mix, and Jordan Spieth is at minus five, uh, tied for second with Adam Scott, Dustin Johnson, and Daniel Berger. Uh, and Kelly Craft and Mike Wallace and Matt Wallace, excuse me, actually, um, both a bunch of those guys put up big scores yesterday. So they're tied at minus four along with Luke List. You have Justin Rose, who I did see yesterday, minus three. Danny Lee, who went into the day six under, is now two under. So he, he had a rough Friday. So Tommy Fleetwood, another guy that I really liked going to this weekend is at minus two, so he's technically tied for 10th, a bunch of guys at minus two. That's 10 strokes off the lead. That's a lot of wood to chop, especially when it's a guy like Kepka who just plays so solid. He shoots a 63 on uh, on Thursday and a 65 yesterday, but all in all, a good day. Like, when the majors come close to me, I'm going to go. I'm I'm probably never going to be the guy, whether – you know, if somehow we grow and and we need somebody to go to majors and, and cover the majors, I'll travel for that. But I won't be the golf fan that is hopping on a flight to go to Whistling Strait or to go to Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open to take it in. That being said, there are many golf fans that are like that. You, as you're walking the course, there are many different accents and there are many people that come into town in order to go. Long Island isn't the most convenient place, but we talked to somebody. I talked to somebody yesterday. They came into Manhattan for the weekend and they're taking the Long Island Railroad out there every day. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, they do a pretty good job, although trying to leave the course yesterday was kind of a cluster. But that's more speaking to what Long Island is like than maybe the course itself. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Like I said, I don't know. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I, watching golf does bore me a little bit. I like to play it. It was a sport that I know I can still play, so I want I want to play, you know. Uh, but uh, watching it, is, yeah. But like uh, I can't play it, basketball any. I can't play basketball regularly anymore because I just got hurt too many times playing it. But it doesn't preclude me from watching hoops or like, you know, you played hockey at points during your life. You still watch hockey, obviously. Uh, still play uh, it too, as much as you're right. So. I like playing. Hockey. So I'm just saying, I like, like it. Uh, you know, like you can watch a major. No, you get into a no, major. No, I don't. No, I'm, I don't know if I'm just. Uh, I, I I do baseball, football, hockey, and I think that's just so ingrained in me that I don't want to even include anything else because I'm afraid. Yeah, you know, that already takes so much of my time. I do have to spend some time with this family I have. 
So yeah. uh, maybe that's it as well. Uh, if I had to include something else, I mean, I like well, I like to play basketball. When the kids are playing out in the uh, not my kids, but the kids on the block when they're playing outside, I generally play with them a little bit, shoot, shoot a little hoops. I enjoy the game. I uh, watching it kills me, especially the last couple of minutes. Uh, I guess I just can't do that with eight thousand timeouts. The game stops all the time. Uh, I know yeah. people complain about football that great. does the same thing, but uh, baseball drives me. Uh, sorry, uh, baseball just drives basketball. me insane with that. How they just can't. Uh, it's, there's no flow at the end. It's, it's, I can't. I just can't deal. Yeah, I understand that. That is a frustrating part of being a basketball fan. You just get used to it and you deal with it. But it is a, absolutely a frustrating part of basketball. So, so that's it. Uh, that was my day at Beth Page. Uh, had fun. Had an adult beverage or two. Got to watch with uh, some good friends and family, and uh, we had a good time. Overall, I highly recommend the experience of going to golf tournaments. Now, these last two golf tournaments that I've been to uh, have been majors, and they've been here, and they have been really difficult to try to, like, get in and out of. I would imagine that that's kind of a regular situation at majors because there's so many people, and I believe Bethpage Black in general like when they played here the last time, they sold more tickets to that than any other golf event ever. And I think it's because the course and the area can accommodate so many more people. So I think the logistics at many majors are probably hard, but it's been particularly difficult. I mean, Shinnecock last year, it took us 90 minutes via the shuttle to go 13 miles. And then yesterday, I think we left the course at like, 4.15, and I didn't get home for two hours, and I probably live 15 miles away, you know, so sh- sh- shuttle bus to an Uber to, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's a lot. Like, you got to build that into your day, and it it took me a lot longer to get home than I wanted to, but probably our fault for leaving late, but I, I think that's just a function of us living where we live, George. Traffic's bad on Long Island. Hmm. You don't say. Yeah. You don't yeah. say. Chuck, I'm not breaking Chuck, news here. Yeah, I'm not breaking news here. I mean, on a Friday afternoon, it was even worse. So, so that's it. In the second hour of the show, we're going to have Maurice Moten. You find him on Twitter at Mo Moten. He uh, writes for Bleacher Report, and he's going to talk to us about the Raiders. So we're going to flip the page over to football here in the next couple of minutes. We'll also have Manish Mehta. From the New York Daily News, we're going to talk about the Jets. You need to go online and read his article about what happened with the Jets these last couple of months. And we're going to ask him questions about it. So, it's Mike and George, one hour down, yeah, and two hours to go on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it locked here. And we're talking football after the break. We'll be right back. 